It's great. I'm sitting here in my Crocs. <laughs> oh, no. Just, no. Do you know what, right? So I, when when Crocs first came out, right, I uh, I aligned myself fully with the anti-Croc movement, right? I was like, what the fuck are these? Uh, as well as Skechers. I was very much hating on Skechers as well, right? Mm-hmm. But um, for years and years and years, I just wouldn't even entertain the idea. And then I had to... I was around my friend's house and I had to take the bin out or something. That's and what I had no for. I had no shoes on. So he luckily the same size feet as me, size ten. And I don't know why everyone needed to know that, but fine. Um I find that then... the, the sizing of a croc isn't a significant issue, really. No. The small, no, medium it's... and large, aren't they really? They're not. Oh no, you have to purchase them in size. Not, you don't not the cheap knockoffs I get. Hey up. I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story takes place during the Stuart era. Uh, A period that we've not covered before? I don't think we, we have covered it together. I've definitely covered a few bits and bobs in it, but I don't think we together have gone on a trip. The Stuarts always um, are very un, uh, like underrated, aren't they? Uh, I, I I think they get overshadowed by the Tudors I massively. Mean, the Tudors have two of the really heavy hitters in Henry and Elizabeth in terms of historical personalities. Yeah. Yeah. And Some big stuff happened in the, the Stuart time, though. I, well, yeah, but it was events rather than the Stuarts themselves, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. But this story begins on October 10th, 1584. Well, I say that. It partially begins on that date. Because okay. the story also begins on January 5th, 1652. Because both of these dates were when Philip Herbert was born. How, how is that possible? Are these two separate people? These are two separate people, but they're both uh, Philip Herbert. Okay, fine. The older of the two Philip Herberts was born at Wilton House, a massive country house near Salisbury in Wiltshire. He was the second son of Henry Herbert, who held the title of the second Earl of Pembroke. Henry Herbert had been an important politician during the reign of Queen Elizabeth. Despite, in his youth, having been made a gentleman of the bedchamber to the Spanish king Philip II, who would later attempt to stage an invasion of Britain via the Spanish Armada. So imagine how silver-tongued you have to be to have been bezzy mates with king philip the second i mean we're talking eton plus 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 aren't we here oh in terms of kind of person yeah because you know it that should really under queen elizabeth have been like "Mm, yeah i don't know that i can trust you considering you are a gentleman of the bedchamber of one of my main rivals Mm. (laughs) what does that entail a gentleman of the bedchamber i don't actually know I assume it's just one of those titles that means it's a confidant, it's a person who is a way of saying, I can trust you, and it comes with a bit of money. So they're not, like, physically tucking... I don't know, they might be physically tucking people into bed. They had these weird routines I suppose that could be that, yes. It could have been his job to tuck him in and read him a story and make make the Spanish king a Horlicks. Hmm. Stool of the Groom was always my favourite. I just thought it was really funny. But it's just that everyone wanted to do it because it gave you one-on-one private time. By wiping the the king's bottom, it's a vulnerable situation for the king. It shows he trusts you, and it gives you a chance to have what must be the most private conversation. 
you know, you can yeah, definitely make a so. few uh, suggestions that you know no one's going to hear. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because he's literally got his trousers down. Mm. So, like, you're you're probably in a position of power. Then, quite rarely, it's it's flipped, isn't it? <laughs> well, you can you definitely lit- start to make um, allusions to the size of the royal member that might mm. bring down a court. Yes, yes. Your codpiece is not looking quite so well filled. <laughs> As you would have the lady believe, good sir. <laughs> that long to get to a dick joke. I mean, we managed four minutes. Well done. I us. bid you good day. But what people don't know, if we've been speaking for about an hour before mm. this, and um, and still there was no... No, this was the first time. There was no crudeness. So Henry Herbert, um, he seemed to live a charmed life, as he'd also, in a previous life, been married to the younger sister of Lady Jane Grey, Catherine <sighs> Grey, as part of the plot to keep Catholic Mary off the throne, okay. but had somehow managed to avoid any repercussions by having the marriage quickly annulled when it became clear who was going to win the day. So he had aspirations to be brother-in-law to the Queen. I always feel it must be really hard when that whole transition was going on, because the the average Joe... See what I did there? The average mm-hmm. Joe would... Um, which kind of they just want a peaceful life, do you know what I mean? They oh, just yeah. want to look after themselves. They don't really care what's going on, like in feuding. And let's be honest, it's just family fighting. That's all that's happening, and um, that's basically why why World War One started as well. It was just fucking royals just shouting at each other. Mm. Anyway, who had um, armies? Who had armies? Yeah, and uh, so yeah, if you'd be like, oh yeah, okay, fine, I'll be Catholic today. Mm. Oh, fine, I'll be Protestant. Whatever. But it must have been exhausting because you have to sort of like, you don't know who you're talking to. So you don't know which one you're meant to say that you are. Yeah. Right. Just constantly having to sit on the fence and go, yeah, I do praise God. Yeah. In the right way. Yes. And I'm not going to elaborate on what that way is. (laughs) And what's the right way? The way that you want me to do it, sir. I just like Jesus, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I just want peace and love, peace and love. Oh, Ringo Starr's entered the chat. That's nice. But what, what I'm saying about Henry was he he seemed to have got lucky on two separate occasions for offences that for someone else may have been the ruin of them. He was mm. able to just brush them off, and he managed to pass this lucky streak onto young Philip Herbert, his second son. Mm-hmm. However, this was not obvious at first. And it's likely that Philip himself spent his early years worried that he wouldn't amount to much. This is because his older brother and the heir to the earldom of Pembroke, William, was apparently an incredibly intelligent young man who would eventually become Chancellor of Oxford University in 1624. Mm. Fanar, fanar, very fancy. Mm. This was, however, after he engaged in an affair with his own cousin, Mary Roth to whom he produced two incestuous children. I mean, they were all doing it, weren't they? Mm. And after another affair with a woman called Mary Fitton, because he liked a bit of the Mary, um, which also produced a bastard child, William acknowledged the child, but refused to marry Mary. This led to him being thrown in the debtor's jail at Fleet Prison, where he stayed until his dad could arrange for a pardon. So again, this is a Oxford University Chancellor who has two incestuous children. And is now in debtor's prison. And was in debtor's 
prison after creating another child out of wedlock that he refused to marry the mother of. The child, luckily for William, died almost immediately. (laughs) Most likely as a result of the rampant syphilis that William almost certainly, definitely had. Again, they all had it. So, a a syphilitic um, serial womaniser with an incestuous bint. This man... (laughs) Uh, I like that word. But he also wrote poems uh, and he was a patron of the arts. So he was able to make quite influential friends and collect titles, including, and again, this is a man known to be incestuous, Warden of the Forest of Dean, the Governor of Portsmouth, and Lord Chamberlain. He's doing well. And all of this, no one brought it up at the job interviews. What, that he'd. So. That he was in prison? No, yeah, that he had been a prisoner and that, you know, he had two children with webbed noses. So why was. So he was in debtor's prison because he wouldn't pay for the children? Uh, no, because he wouldn't marry the um, the mother. But, but why would you be in debtor's prison for that? That's just where he was thrown. They were like, well, this isn't right. Oh, you know, okay, so it's not like a. a I'm, pre- I'm, pretty crime. Sure, I'm pretty sure that it would have been a case of she was saying, well, he promised me that he would make an honest woman of me and he's now reneging thing. on the deal. Mm. That was a thing, wasn't it? If you promised to marry someone, even if you didn't get engaged or anything, mm. you could still get in oh, trouble. No. Mary but... Mary fit and she made money out of it because oh, the deal to get Dad out was Dad paid a lot of money um, to Mary in order that she would sort of drop the claim against, against so William. If, if he's getting all these... He's obviously got money. Oh, yes, yes. Oh my! I'm getting he's Reese got, Mogg in my he's head. He's got daddy's money at right, this point. Fine. You know, he inherited dad's money when dad died, but these these affairs happened before. Right. Got and it. considering it was an incestuous relationship with his cousin, that must have mm. made it awkward for his dad and his dad's brother having that conversation. You know, well, we're both grandparents to the <laughs> same kids. Oh God! Keep it in the family. Keep the wealth in the family. That's what you need to do. I mean, was it was it ha- Habsburg jaw that people used to get? Yeah, the Habsburg chin. Yeah, led to breathing difficulties. They were so inbred. It's like what's happening to pug dogs now. I feel I got really cross with my friend. He brought two dogs, uh, pug dogs, and I got really mad. I was like, "It's, it's people like you that are doing this. This is your fault." Yeah, and um, buying a dog that can't breathe. Yeah, and they're like. <laughs> It's so cute. No, no, it's not. It's really I'm just like, upsetting. it's really... Yeah, isn't it? I feel so... And they die quite young. I wonder why. When every I... breath is an agonised struggle. It's just outrageous. And you outrageous. know, I hear the elephant man didn't live to a ripe old age either. Go figure. There you go. It's almost like being able to breathe easily is, is quite important to a long and healthy life. <laughs> and look at Dick Van Dyke, 96 years old. At the gym? Yeah, because his lungs are good. Do you lift, bro? Yes. Yeah, you've got to keep that V-max up. Today, though, this fine, upstanding man, William Herbert, is commemorated both in the name of Pembroke College, Oxford, founded in 1624, Mm. and by a life-size grade two listed statue, which to this day stands at the entrance of the Bodleian Library. This isn't the guy that got done for slavery stuff, was it? No, no, this is... Um, he, he, as far as I know, didn't own slaves, William. <clears throat> Apparently, he was 
when he wasn't having you know affairs and incestuous relationships he just locked himself in his study where he would um smoke his pipe in order to keep away the miasma okay. so he, right. he was very health conscious in that mm. he never stopped smoking his pipe and he died of a lung disease would you believe i mean that would do it in comparison to this this great man william though his younger brother philip was a bit of a dullard like his older brother, Philip was sent to study at Oxford University. He was sent to New College at the age of nine. Nine? Yeah. However, within a few months, he dropped out. Hmm. not surprised. This was because Philip was far more interested in hunting, sports, parties, and gambling, hmm. as well as wine, women, and song. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, the Herbert family was so rich that it didn't matter. So whereas they were trying to, you know, bail William, the heir apparent, out of all of his scrapes and try and get this veneer of respectability with all these titles, Philip was just there. He was the spare. You didn't really just need to worry existing. about him. Yeah, so long as he's still alive, mm. just in case you need him. That's all, that's all that's expected of Philip at this stage. Yeah. And even with no discernible skills, at the age of 16, Philip Herbert was presented at the court of Elizabeth I in 1600. Fancy. Elizabeth herself was 66 at this time, and she was pretty unimpressed with young Philip, who just wanted to party and have a good, raucous time. How dare he have fun? What I'm saying is that there was a bit of a mismatch between the ageing Queen of England and party boy Phil, who can, you know, chug a beer with his butt cheeks. Yeah, I mean, that that would have been fine if you were roughly the same age. Like, Mm. Henry VIII's court was very much full of young men that were all the same age, and it was just a bit of a laugh, I think. Like, this is is pre him murdering everyone. Philip would have Um, fitted in the absolutely fantastic, yeah. Like, lads, lads, lads. Yeah. Yeah. For the next three years, he remained very much on the periphery of court life and pretty much entirely overshadowed by his much more socially savvy older brother, who could negotiate the intrigues and delicate political manoeuvrings of Elizabeth's court. Because, you know, that was a cutthroat world. Because I think that's what Elizabeth wanted it to be. Yeah. So he was just a second son, no purpose, no prospects. I mean, that's me, to be honest. You've just described me, the second son, no. No purpose. No prospects. (laughs) Your purpose is commenting on this story and you're doing a bang-up job. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm not not actively seeking to, to replace you at all. That makes me feel like you are. It, Who is she? I'll fight her. <laughs> it was in 1603 that Philip's lucky break occurred. Because Elizabeth died. And after she died, the crown was passed to her first cousin twice removed, James VI of Scotland, who would become James I of England. James was 37 years old. And unlike his predecessor, as soon as he saw Philip glistening with sweat as he returned from a successful hunt, the new king was intrigued and called him over for a super private chat. From this point on, it became clear that James loved having a strapping 19-year-old Philip Herbert about the place at Mm. all times. Yes. Someone who he could hunt with and gamble with. Someone to get drunk with and maybe, you know, engage in some good-natured and clearly masculine wrestling. Ironic, because James the first dad, Lord Darnley, was um, uh, definitely bisexual, if not gay, as well. And there's a lot of uh, 
queries around James himself and mm-hmm. his own sexuality. Yeah. Uh, within a month, this this we do know, Philip had been elevated to gentleman of the privy chamber. I want that job. Well, only a month after that, he was further honoured by being made a knight of the bath. <laughs> I thought you said by being a maid. I was like, what? <laughs> by being a maid of the knight of the bath. Okay. Oh, what does that mean? Scrubbing? Well, I, I don't know, but at the moment he's allowed in the privy chamber. He's allowed in the bathroom. And these were clear indications that James... He's allowed in the king. Yeah, he felt that Philip... <laughs> He's allowed in the in the king's most sensitive areas. Yeah. There were clear indications that James felt Philip had the right stuff to be part of his elite inner circle. So he's he's come into, you know, being the king of England. This new court that he's got to decide who he's keeping from the old regime, who he's bringing in new. And it after just two months, it was quite clear Philip was one of the chosen confidants who mm. was going to form that core of his new regime. Fine. And the role that he was to play was to be the royal party planner. What a job. I know. Philip's job, basically, was to arrange tournaments and party-slash-performance pieces known as masks, which could probably best be described as highly stylized parties. with so a, a masquerade ball? A little bit like a masquerade ball, mm. yeah. But th- it was basically very uh, couture, sort of um, edited parties, with the sole aim of showing everyone in attendance just how sophisticated you were. So there would be, um, you wouldn't just do out the hall with bunting. You would have architects come in and build full sets in the latest designs, the most up-to-date architectural sort of designs. I've seen this. I've seen this. When I was at Stirling Castle, mm. there was, um, they brought like a whole like lake in and there was a boat. Yeah. And... Um, like in the middle of the Great Hall, and there was like women dancing and stuff. Yeah, and you would have uh, operas being performed, and you would have um, the the latest music. You know, those musicians would be coming into play, so it'd be all the cutting edge cultural things in one place to show. Look at me! Mm. Look at how fucking great I am! <laughs> I am the shit. James's long suffering beard. I mean, wife. Um, Anne of Denmark was a particular <laughs> fan of masks and would often perform in them herself along with her ladies in waiting. You know, anything to distract from the fact that her husband just was not interested in her in no. that way. And in order to ensure that no malicious rumours could be circulated about the very close friendship that Philip and the king were forming, James was keen for Philip to get a wife, <clears throat> beard, of his very own. James Fair. selected the bride himself. Susan de Vere, who was the daughter of the Earl of Oxford. This would ordinarily have been a match Philip could never hope to achieve, but the king himself provided the Earl of Oxford with significant financial compensation and even offered to pay for and arrange the wedding himself. Okay. So do you think this is just a big sort of cover-up so whatever is happening can continue to happen without rumour. Like, yeah, how can how can you question us? We both have wives. <laughs> Damn it. And children. There's, you there's only, nothing you going it, on. You only have to do it once, don't you? Mm. Done. And with it now clear that King James and Philip were clearly heterosexual men in happy marriages, James celebrated by making Philip a gentleman of the bedchamber. <laughs> <laughs> he also arranged for Philip to become an MP for Glamorgan, 
a place he had never been. Glamorgan, that I've been is that Wales? Mm. Right. It's it's not, you know, exactly a place that Philip had ever been or shown an interest in. But it okay. was I'm assuming a bit of a rotten borough at the time, so it was just you will vote for my guy. Uh, he also arranged for him to be given a master's degree from Oxford, where again he had studied for less than two months at the age of nine. Okay, so he's doing well. Tick, tick, tick. Oh yeah, he's he's ticking off the the you know, catching up to his brother. It's like, Pfft. yeah, you may be you know warden of the Forest of Dean. I'm the MP for Glamorgan, and my degree's just as good as yours, damn it. And uh, the king's my BFF, yeah. so mm. back off. Yeah, basically. James ensured that Philip never faced any consequences at all. When he ran up huge gambling debts, James paid them off with enough money left over that Philip was able to become one of the main financiers of the Virginia Company, the Northwest Passage Company, and a little venture called the Honourable East India Company. God, who's part of that? Well, basically, he'd go up to James and go, I'm, I'm in a bit of trouble. I, I owe hundreds to these guys and they're going to break my legs and James would just go oh well here's 2000 so Philip would be able to pay off his gambling debts and with all the extra money he's just like oh I may as well invest this somewhere so this is like sugar daddy this is What's sh- the, do we know what the age gap is is there a massive uh, age gap the age gap was about 18 years oh okay fine mm. James was also called on at times to intercede due to Philip Herbert's temper because it seemed that Philip had become so used to being told that he was right all the time that he had developed a literal inability to tolerate any challenge to the idea that he was absolutely perfect. <laughs> How dare you question me ever? I am warden of the privy bed chamber bath. I I know everything. I mm. wash the king's smalls. How dare you question my authority? <laughs> In 1610, he was having a friendly game of tennis with the Earl of Southampton, as you do, and was surprised to note that he appeared to be losing. He accepted this with the grace of John McEnroe and engaged in what would be described as a noted quarrel, meaning (laughs) that he violently attacked his opponent with his tennis racket. Is that a euphemism? No, no, no. That is, he literally had a big lump of wood in his hand and wasn't happy with the other guy. So he, he put the two things together. The man and the big lump of wood in his hand. <laughs> and that's how he met the king. The king stepped in to smooth things over. And basically, when the king's coming up to you and going, Earl of Southampton, I know you've got a black eye and a broken rib, but come on, I'm the king. Let him have this one. Mm. You can't really say no. You've just got to go, okay, as I mean, you're this asking. Is, this is pre-Civil War, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh... The king, yes, had to step in again when another quarrel, this time described as violent, took place between Philip and Lord Howard de Walden. That's a cool name. Mm. However, all of this was only the tip of the iceberg for Philip, because the king only needed to bother when the victim of the assault was noble and thus worth worrying about. Okay. Philip became notorious for unprovoked and violent assaults that could occur at literally any time against anybody. <sighs> God. His servants lived in fear of him. If he was in oh, a tavern, that's not nice, is it? there was like a, an area around Philip that people wouldn't enter just in case he accused them of spilling his beer. You know, he was like th- that nutter who's all friendly right up until the point where he's not. 
and, until he's probably questioned about mm. anything. And if you don't know that nutter, you probably are that nutter. So think on. Mm. <laughs> That's me. You've literally just described me. After the death of James, Philip mourned for a long time. But he continued to be favoured and protected by King Charles I. And naturally, after benefiting from 36 years of unconditional support from two generations of Stuart Kings, Philip Herbert, 4th Earl of Pembroke, chose to side with the parliamentarians during the Civil War. What? Yeah. What? Why would you do that? Oh, he, he must be having it off with someone from the parliament. Uh, maybe Oliver Cro- Maybe he was... No, apparently he he had... Pu- for someone who was violent um, mm. and obviously benefited so much from privilege, he had apparently puritanical beliefs, so he did naturally want to side with the parliamentarians. Oliver, but he was in a situation where he was benefiting from... Oh, he, he definitely benefited from this switch because he could see which way the wind was blowing. And he was described as a moderate, so he was trying to hedge his bets. Most of his input into the Civil War was as part of the negotiating team, trying desperately to get Charles to make some concessions in order to save his life. And that's... I mean, because Charles was proper, like, divine right of king, yeah. wasn't he? He was just like... How dare... Like, even when he was on trial, mm. he was just like, who even are you people? You can't do this. Like... We, we clearly can. I no. am... I am the king. I rule you, regardless of what is happening yeah. here. Well, it wasn't his argument pretty much. Treason is against a king. Mm. I am the king. I can't treason against myself. Go away. I mean, what like what is the definition of treason? Is it because obviously everyone thinks it's against the monarch, but it's against they changed the it to yeah state, isn't it? Against the, the that that trial was country. where the argument was was posited that essentially treason was against the people. So could you of a could you still be done for treason now if you I don't know sold secrets to yeah know, yeah of course somewhere like Iraq or somewhere I don't know whatever well we um, still have a monarch so it would still be against the queen in terms of you know all court cases against the public is Regina yeah, versus yeah but yeah I mean if we if we got rid of the monarchy it would still treason couldn't still occur because you can be charged for a treasonous offense in the United States so right okay so if you're if you're a citizen of that country mm. or whatever and then you've been yeah, if you if you benefited you, from the from the state's apparatus, so you've paid taxes and received all the things, and you've taken part in that country's, you know, collective society, you can be charged with treason against that country. Yeah, uh, but it was okay. kind so of codified sort of in back. this in this trial where his argument was treasons against the king, and they said no, king is just the representative of a country. He's the head of state. It's against the state, and a king is more than capable of performing a treasonous act against the state he's supposed to protect. Mm. That must have been tricky. Well, Philip Herbert was finding it very tricky. So when it came time for the trial, although he was originally appointed to be part of the court to try him for treason, he he uh, he pieced out on that. He was like, nope, uh, I've, got, I've got to go and uh, my, my estate in Wiltshire needs some tending. <laughs> Bye. Love to, guys, but... Pff, I mean, it's turnip season, and you know, c- come on, got to get those turnips in from the fields. Time to go. See you in winter. Hopefully, you've sorted <laughs> it. He fell ill and died almost exactly a year after Charles was executed. 
probably because he knew that Oliver Cromwell was not going to tolerate him in the same way that the Stuart Kings had. So I think his, his entire point of um, siding with the parliamentarians is like a lot of people who did. He was looking for some minor concessions from Charles that he would accept some of the direction of Parliament. He didn't want to get rid of Charles and create a republic. He just wanted a reformed monarchy. Mm-hmm. And when it became clear that actually that wasn't what was going to happen, mm-hmm. he he just kind of checked out the entire thing because he knew that in a republic, no one was going to put up with his shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like... He was too old lewd, to learn new skills. Lewd behaviour is kind of accepted more so, mm-hmm. I would say, in posher circles so if you're like um if you're like a wealthy person Mm. uh you're seen as um eccentric and a bit kooky Mm. um oh that's just them but if you're if you're poor you're seen as um deviant like just loopy just nuts like it's mad how like money can or social circles can sort of uh, place you in different categories depending on who your social circle is. Mm. The same behaviour can be construed in amazingly different ways based on your bank balance, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And that was the end of Philip Herbert. Uh. But it may be that much like Sauron from Lord of the Rings, his spirit endured. Okay, I'm intrigued. As less than two years after Philip Herbert died, Philip Herbert was born. This was the grandson of the original, and was destined to become a more intense version, who would be even more hedonistic and more violent than his hot-tempered granddad. No way! Okay, so they're related, right? Fine. The Philip we've just talked about was the grandsire of little new Philip, who we will talk about thusly. So there's a generation between them. Yes, who was also called Philip, but was very (laughs) boring. So confusing. So there are three Philips in a row here, but we're not interested. love to name... They're kids after each other, don't they? There's another William coming up as well. Don't... I get really confused with the Stuarts, especially. I have to sit there and work out in my head. So it was James, Charles, Charles, Charles James, Anne. And that's it. Yep. Right, fine. Like his granddad, Philip Jr. was born in the family home at Wilton House. And like his granddad, he was not very academically gifted. Okay. Even as a child, he was reported to be a heavy drinker prone to fits of violence. Much like his grandfather, he had an elder brother called William. However, this William Herbert died suddenly without children when Philip was only 22. This meant that he inherited the title of 7th Earl of Pembroke on July 8th, 1674. Now a peer of the realm, he was mixing with the great and good of the restored Stuart monarchy. So naturally, he started picking fights with them. Of course. It is reported that he committed several assaults on fellow peers in 1675 and 1676, which could easily have ended in death. So these are okay. proper savage beatings, but that's all you get in the notes. It's just are we still in the in Republic? No, 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 no. We're, the Republic was the time of um, boring, boring Philip. Right, okay. In between the two fun Philips. Um, okay, and, fun. Oh, got yeah. Okay, fine, yeah. We're, so we're back into, to the Merry Monarch. Yeah, we're into Charles II, the Merry Monarch. That's yeah. where we are right now. Cool. However, no charges were brought because it was felt that litigating peer-on-peer fisticuffs in the Old Bailey would be a bit unseemly. 
So it's basically, we don't want the masses knowing that we're having disagreements. That, that we're brawling. Yes, yeah. that would be so... Oh, could you imagine the scandal? The scandal. Yes, I know he took your arm off. But, yeah, I mean, can't you just wear a stump? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> or find someone that's really into stumps. Yes, that, that would work. Unfortunately for the people of London, this lack of accountability gave Philip the impression that he could pretty much do whatever he wanted. And in 1677, he challenged a poor bloke, known to history simply as Mr Vaughan, to a duel. Without a title, it is likely that Mr Vaughan was not very well versed in duelling, and may have been a merchant, or even just a servant who had been in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, you know, a duel... Normally, you think of two gentlemen uh, having some kind of highfalutin conversation and one commits a social faux pas and is, "Ah, you dare impugn my honour, sir. Then I must ask for satisfaction. But this was literally a case of somebody who was cleaning up his, you know, leavings from the night before didn't answer him quick enough. And he was like, you there, dual time. He sounds very unhinged. Hmm. Whatever the circumstances that led to the challenge, we do know that Mr Vaughan was gravely injured in the duel, and it was thought for a long time that he would die from the wound that he suffered. Because again, I I don't know even if this Mr Vaughan was given the weapons of a duel. I I demand, Mr Vaughan, that you go and get your pistol and your sword. Please, sir, I don't own a pistol or a sword. I have this fork. You sound like Dobby, then. Well, imagine someone akin to Dobby the house elf holding a small fork as a gentrified lord brandishes his, you know, pearl-inlaid dueling pistol. Yeah, fine. Ten pieces, sir! (laughs) Oh, God, no! (laughs) Again, this did not land the seventh earl of Pembroke into any trouble whatsoever. The fact that he dueled with some poor random bloke off the street and gravely injured him. It's like, well, it was an official duel. Um, you know, it's it's that it's Mr. Vaughan's fault that he didn't have a gun and sword at hand. <laughs> what kind of it person doesn't carry those? The gentlemanly thing mm. to carry. Yeah. He's not a gentleman. It doesn't matter. He should be aspirational. Come on. <laughs> dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't have them either, so... <laughs> However, in January 1678, Philip was at the court of King Charles II when he made a comment that King Charles found so disgusting that he had Philip immediately taken to the Tower of London. So well, while, that put him in his place, didn't While it? his physical actions, no repercussions, it was his dirty, dirty mouth that finally got him arrested for the first time. I and, wonder what he said. Well, this is my thing, because... The King Charles who was disgusted. This is King Charles II, who, as you've said, also known as the Merry Monarch, due to his hedonistic and very permissive court. This is King Charles II, also known as Old Rowley, due to the number of bastard children he has sired, with many, many mistresses. Mm. And the reason... It must have been bad, what he said, though. Well, the reason that he was nicknamed Old Rowley was because he apparently had a stud horse that was ugly as sin, but made beautiful foals. 
<laughs> bit like him. Yeah, and that was that was the joke. It was well, he's as ugly as Sin as well, but he makes children all over he the place. Has a because... Massive nose. Yeah. He? Well, power's attractive. You'll you'll put up with a lot to get close to power, apparently. Hmm. So yeah, that king Charles the Second, who was up for anything for a rip roaring good time, he was disgusted, and he described Philip's comment as such horrid and blasphemous words and other actions proved upon oath as are not fit to be repeated in any Christian assembly. Mm. We sadly don't have a record of what exactly he said. He probably um, suggested that his granddads and his granddad were bumming. And, uh, yeah, it just offended him. It was a case of, you know, you know, you know, our granddads had a special arrangement. Well... (laughs) Do you want to? Do you want to? I really it? want to be the warden of the Forest of Dean. So, <laughs> what? What say we resurrect that old agreement? Eh, the old alliance. I'll have none of this homosexuality in my court. That's a step too far. Apparently, though, it was um, something to do with abuse of the sacrament of the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That's that's what he was uh, riffing on when he made the comment. Something on a Sunday. Mm. Well, you know, you've you've had a heavy, heavy one on the Saturday. You're a bit hungover and you just want to have your Sunday dinner. You want to get yeah. to your Sunday roast and you're there at church and he comes out with something absolutely dirty and you're already a bit fragile. You're a bit agitated. Hmm. So you send him to the to the Tower of London. Send I mean, him to the Tower of London. If you can. you can, then fine. Philip Herbert appealed to the House of Lords for support, denying everything in the process. So literally calling the king a liar. Oh. Not surprisingly, seven of the bishops refused. However, a majority did petition for Philip to be released, and the king agreed that Philip could leave the tower after only two days. Okay. So it was more of an admonishment than a proper prison sentence. It was just to remind remind Philip, I'm in charge here, mate. Yeah. And you're getting a bit big for your boots, so... Pipe down. Yeah. Hopefully, a couple of days in the tower, you know, you've had that mouldy bread, you've seen the rats... You're going to toe the line now, aren't you, mate? Come on. This decision to release Philip proved to be a bad one. Because within a week of his release, Philip Herbert was accused of assaulting a man called Philip Reicholt in broad daylight on the Strand. (laughs) And this time they'd had enough. Philip was told to get £2,000 together, which was a ridiculous sum for the time. In their money? Yep. Jesus. This was because the lords were annoyed that he had asked them for help and had then immediately made them look like fools for saying he was a good guy. Because they were going, come on, Philip, he's never actually really hurt anyone. And then someone comes up and goes, he kicked the shit out of me. (laughs) Well, he had good reason. We were just walking down the street. I have many witnesses. It was the middle of the day. (laughs) And Philip was to take that £2,000 that he'd had to scrape together and just leave it in his bank account, really. But if he wasn't able to keep the peace, though, he would need to pay that as a fine. So be warned. No no more broad daylight assaults. To be fair, he seems to be getting away with quite a lot. Even though he's just getting like a little slap on the wrist. Yeah, this is all next time, £2,000. It's a lot of money, isn't it? It is a lot of money. But you you wonder if they were actually going to. What the Lords didn't know was that the reason that Philip had not actually murdered Reichholt was that he'd already tired himself out murdering another man. What? Okay, fine. Just before he'd taken a wander down the Strand, 
Philip had been drinking in a local pub about a mile away called Mr. Long's in the Haymarket. And he had taken offence to something that a man called Nathan Coney had said. By reports, he had knocked Nathan to the floor and proceeded to kick the poor man to death. Philip was indicted by a grand jury of Middlesex. But because the law demands a trial by one's peers, the jury in his murder trial was made up exclusively of members of the House of Lords. Because for him, trial by peers is literal peers. He was advised at the beginning of the trial to not let the disgrace of standing as a felon at the bar too much deject him or the terrors of justice amaze him. Mainly because there was no real worry that justice would be served. Again, he's rich. Mm. It's fine. The only witness called was Mr Richard Savage, who was a friend of Philip Herbert. Unsurprisingly, he said that Philip had been provoked and that he had only kicked Coney once and obviously hadn't meant to kill him as he had put his sword away. Oh, well, that's all right then. Yeah, meaning he, at some point, got his sword out, you know. God, some people just need to pipe down. Mm. He'd drawn it, apparently, to threaten Nathan Coney's friend, Mr Goring. Mr Goring, who had also witnessed the crime, uh, he was not called as a witness. Oh, of course he wasn't. Mm. The Lords found Philip not guilty mm-hmm. of murder. Surprise. Surprise. But they did find him guilty of manslaughter on account of how he had clearly slaughtered a man. I always think manslaughter sounds worse than mm. murder. Slaughter. But attracts less of a prison sentence. Mm. Though that wasn't as much of a problem back in the day, because it was still potentially punishable by death. So, mm. Okay, so, yeah, swings around about... Even though it's the lesser crime, the, the punishment's still... It's a high tariff if he has to pay it. Yeah. But you see, it's, it's punishable by death for commoners. Uh, because Philip, having heard the verdict, claimed privilege of the statute, which was pretty much the same as benefit of the clergy, in that it gave him a free pass on the crime he committed. Okay. The only difference between the two was that he didn't need to be branded, as he was a lord of the realm, and as such, everybody could surely trust that he would be truthful should he commit further crimes. Oh, well, yes, of course. So they did... He's been so good yeah. up to now. They they did warn him when he claimed it that, you know, you only get to claim privilege of the statute once, you know. Even even peers, we we have a limit. We did yeah. we did hang one earl once. Yeah. It was And we'll do it again. Possibly. If you commit seventeen more murders and twelve <laughs> rapes. Then <laughs> then we'll be getting angry, Philip. We will be cross. So hopefully now now that you've had a trial for murdering someone and have served no time, you've served more time for making a joke about the sacraments in front of the king than you have for literally murdering a man and then going on to assault another man on the same day. But we know you've learnt your lesson. What is wrong with this man? He's obviously not well. Um, I believe the term that was used was homicidal maniac for this particular brand of... Philip Herbert. This is the okay. intense version. You know, this this is the espresso to um, <laughs> former Philip's flat white. To, to the milky coffee. Yeah. yeah. Six months later, <clears throat> after, you know, he was sentenced, but not really, for the crime, the foreman of the grand jury that had first indicted Philip for murder, Sir Edmund Berry Godfrey, he was taking a stroll on Primrose Hill near Regent's Park 
This was on October 12th, 1678. He was found on the morning of October the 17th in a ditch, mutilated and impaled on his own sword. While you think that Philip would naturally be the prime suspect in this crime, being pretty much the only person with a personal grudge against Sir Godfrey, the Herbert Luck saw him cleared of suspicion, as Godfrey just so happened to be an MP and prominent supporter of Protestantism. So the murder was blamed on Catholics seeking to overthrow King Charles in a conspiracy theory that became known as the Popish Plot. I've heard of this. Mm. Many people died as a result of the Popish Plot, and it may all have been stirred up by the fact that Philip was determined to get his own back on the guy in the jury who'd said... Yes, we find that there are you know, sufficient grounds for this to go to trial. Eventually, three men were tried and executed for the murder of Sir Godfrey, all Catholics. But it quickly became clear that they were completely innocent and had only confessed due to the extreme torture methods that were used upon them. And they were just three random blokes. So, I mean, yeah. So, quickly, find me some Catholics. Scapegoats, isn't it? Mm. It's just, yeah... It's just, like, instantly blaming, like, people from, like, the Muslim culture if there's a terrorist attack. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, right, we'll have them. That will do. Don't care who they are. That's that's the narrative that we want to push, so we will just ignore the facts and we will go for it. Yeah. Their passport was found here. (laughs) Although the true identity of the murderer now can never be established, I'm personally quite happy to say that it was definitely Philip Herbert settling his grudge. He makes Grandad Philip look tame. Oh, yeah. But Grandad Philip was, you know, he had two loving relationships because his relationship with his wife was, whether it be only part of his sexuality being expressed, it was actually yeah, yeah. a happy marriage. And he had the this loving support of this king as well. Mm. So he at least felt happy and comfortable. Yeah. Young Philip was um, a womanizer. He was a bachelor. He had no one there to ground him, really. No. Because he didn't exactly have the ear of the king. He was just a guy no. trying to form some kind of reputation and going about it all wrong. Even historians who dispute the idea that he was the murderer admit that he is the person with the greatest motive. Yeah. You know, it's like of all the people alive in London at that time. He was the he most was the unhinged. One. Yeah, he was, he was both the one who had the biggest grudge and also the person most likely to act on any grudge he had because mm. he literally you know murdered a guy for spilling I his mean, pint he's in it for the like just don't cross him mm. uh. having taken revenge on godfrey for actually making him face some consequences for his actions philip decided to lay low till the heat died down and returned to the family home in wiltshire nice. his version of you know laying low was to set himself up as a Stuart version of Joe Exotic, stocking the grounds of his country estate with 52 pit bull mastiffs, 30 greyhounds, some bears. There's no number attached to the amount of okay. bears. So if a you, handful of bears. Yeah, if you went to you know the country estate of Wilton uh, in Wiltshire, there were some bears. Look out for some. We don't get to know which breed they are whether they're grizzlies or little fun sun bears or even pandas, we don't know. But just, they're there. Just bears. Yeah. Right. And a lion. God. Just the one. Okay. But we, we lost sight of it a few weeks ago, so just... 
you know, don't go through the long grass. Just really be careful. Yeah. And apparently also, 60 hangers-on described as being more bestial than all the animals in the menagerie. Okay. So he's got all of these animals, and he's got 60 absolute hellions that are probably like versions of him. Enablers. Just lunatics, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's like an anarchistic commune full of headbangers. Yeah. This kept Philip busy until 1680, when he headed back into old London town for a quiet drink in Turnham Green, in Chiswick. What's, what's he going to do now? Well, this was August the 18th. He's just gone for a quiet drink. You know, he's he's been out of the loop for a little while. He just wants to catch up on the, the goss, see who's, you know, got a bit of a scandal going on. Yeah. You know, recent marriages, all that kind of stuff, a bit of wheeler dealer in. The quiet drink, it turned into a much louder drink, until eventually Philip was kicked out of the pub. The Earl of Pembroke was not happy to be turfed out, and when a watchman called William Smith approached, presumably saying, hello, 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 what's all this then? Philip beat him to death. <sighs> what is wrong with this man? He got kicked out of a pub. I mean... He wasn't, he wasn't happy about it. I've been very cross when I've been asked to leave a nightclub back mm. in the day, but I would never kill someone ah, for but, it. Yeah, but you're not an Earl of the Realm. You know, you, you, this is true. you don't if sit I was, in the House of Lords. Not yet. Mm. Can you imagine if I ended up in the House of Lords? I can't see the path that you're going to take, but go for it. I'll be your biggest supporter if you make it. I, I will no longer call for the abolition of the House of Lords if you're seated in it. <laughs> they would hate me. Absolutely yeah. hate me. And that's why you turn up every day and just, you know... Objection! <laughs> this is not a court of law. Objection! <laughs> I'm speaking! <laughs> it took nearly a year, but in June 1681, another Middlesex grand jury, and you assume the foreman of this one asked to remain anonymous and wore a bag on his head at all times. Mm, oh, God, yeah. They indicted Philip Herbert for murder. Uh, okay, so it's not man's daughter this time, it's murder. And right. knowing that he'd already used his get-out-of-capital-punishment-for-free card, Philip was somehow able to flee to the continent. So he passed go and he collected £200? Yeah. So they, they basically went, well... Um, as you can that see, was a Monopoly reference for anyone that didn't know. I think most people have played Monopoly. Most well, people I have had know. that terrible experience of playing Monopoly. Mm. I know I've lost, but it's going to take another three hours for that to be confirmed. <laughs> this is this is the way I'm spending my evening. Yeah. Yay. And then someone's going to flip the board at some point. Yeah. If this... Uh. Well, you already know who's won, so it does. It's just why why prolong the agony? We could all because be watching MasterChef. We as humans think we're really liberal, and then when we're winning, we kind of like to see people suffer, <laughs> and we will we will like long it out for as long as we can. I'm very mixed actually, because um, over the weekend, mm -hmm. Burnley Football Club were relegated to the Championship. Okay. And as a Blackburn fan, you think I'd be very... Relegated from what? Uh, from the Premier League. Okay, so that's one down. And you think, as a Blackburn fan, I'd be happy about that. Both because mm. it means they're no longer in the division above us as our local rivals, but also mm. because it means that we get a, a derby game 
Oh, we get to play the Derby twice next year, the East Lanks Derby. But I'm very, very sad because I actually hate Leeds more, and I don't know why. So where are Leeds in this? Well, they're just a Yorkshire team that are very, very dirty. But are they what? What? What league are they in? They're they're in the Premier League. Basically, on the last day of the season, either Leeds or Burnley were going to be relegated. Ah, okay. So you would rather it would would have been Leeds. You'd think I'd rather it be Burnley because they're our rivals. I don't want to see them do well, Mm. but I really wanted them to stay up because it's an East Lanks team. Okay. And it's about having that representation rather than a Yorkshire team. A West Yorkshire team. Yeah, and. I mean, I watched the Leeds game and they fully deserved to stay up. They they needed to win and they won well. Mm. So, fair play to them. But there was a bit of me that was like, oh, God damn it. I've been to Ellen Road many a time. Mm. Is that a euphemism? No, I saw the Kaiser Chiefs there. Ah, uh, I was going to say it wasn't football. But no, it was the Kaiser Chiefs. Of course it well, was. Well, they're a Yorkshire band. That must have been good. They are a Yorkshire band. They used to drink in the same pub as me mm. uh, when they were famous uh, in Headingley in Leeds. So I knew all the boys. And then they dropped you. Damn them. They got too popular. Oh. They were like, you know, this southern guy, we just can't have him ruining our street cred. Yeah, our northern aesthetic is spoiled him gone. by his accent. Yeah, get him gone. So, I forgot where we were, but I think Philip has fled to the continent. Yes. Because, of course, you know, if, if you or I was indicted by a grand jury for murder, mm. they'd probably want to keep tabs on what we were doing. Maybe yeah. take our passport, make sure that we didn't have enough money. Um, to to flee the country, but yeah. Philip, no, he was fine. You know, it's like, well, at some point we're going to set a date for the trial. You're going to turn up, aren't you, Philip? You know, you're honourable man. You're a you're a peer of the realm. You'll definitely turn up. And he went, yes. And then he didn't. He went to France. Bonsoir. <laughs> but despite the fact that he was a well known shit, despite the fact. <laughs> That by the standard definition, he was now a full-fledged serial killer. Three bodies, cool-down period. He is a serial killer. Is it free? Yep. okay. 24 of his fellow peers still petitioned the king to issue him with a royal pardon for the crime. Despite the fact that he'd run to the continent to avoid the trial, which is not the actions of an innocent man. It doesn't look good, does it? Yeah, it's not, oh, well, I, I look forward to my day in court. I can prove my position. It's, <sighs> Yeah, I'm French now. And King Charles II, he agreed to issue the pardon. Whoa. Of course he did. <gasps> he had juicy information, didn't he, on his granddad? I, well, I don't even know if that will bother King Charles, you know. Oh, yeah, because this whole motion of, like... um how society should behave like properly is like a Victorian invention. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think he'd be particularly scandalised by no. saying his granddad did something. Nah. Be like, well, I'm not, so can we move nah. on? Also, I'm the king. <laughs> Pipe down. And I, I put you in the Tower of London for less than accusing my family line of, you know... And I'll do it again. ...predilections. It is likely that Philip Herbert, 7th Earl of Pembroke, would have gone on killing people and getting away with it for many years. But fortunately for the people of London, the sheer level of anger that was required to sustain his level of bloodlust took a toll on his body. 
Because he was angry, I imagine, all the time. Mm. Like, high levels of stress. There was always that person at school that was, like, angry and always, like, ready for a fight. Like, always they? red-faced. Yeah. Just, like, just like just, I'm just so fucking mad at everyone. So ah. full of testosterone that they can barely contain it. And that was just, that was just the women. But Philip, probably this is an aneurysm, died in 1683 at only 30 years old. So that's a multiple murderer despite only being 30 when he died. That's impressive. And though he was a multiple murderer, he was also a peer. So he was buried in Salisbury Cathedral with all the pomp and circumstance that he clearly didn't deserve. I was there not that long ago. Well, you should be able to see a little stone panel dedicated to the 7th Earl. 7th Earl of Pembroke will be there. I mean, I wasn't specifically looking. Oh, and the Earl of Montgomery, I should have said. He got a second earldom. Oh, okay. Yeah, because why not? I mean, he was doing such a good job. I mean, oh, yeah. Live fast, die young. He is remembered to history as the infamous Earl. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he's probably the peer of the realm with the most direct murders on their rap sheet that has ever existed. I, I love it you say probably, like there is definitely probably more. Well, you don't know. I mean, it's did, were the people who just never got caught? Or were the people where it was just passed off as jewels? Mm. Uh, surprise jewel! Stab! <laughs> I said jewel is Yeah, it's legal. all above board. Yeah. Amazingly, the Herbert family still hold the title of Earl of Pembroke. The current holder is William Herbert. Of course it is. It's always either William or Philip. Who is the 18th Earl of Pembroke. Okay. William inherited the title in 2003 and is 44 years old. He lives in the same Wilton house in Wiltshire, where his two hyper-violent ancestors were born, and is happily married with four children. What's his name? William what? William Herbert. Herbert. Yep, they've kept the same surname the entire way through. Same family line, paternal line, all the way down. Yes, so he's married with four children, which ensures that a 19th Earl will be ready and willing to take over the family titles and estates when the time comes. He is also the first Herbert, and bear in mind, his ancestor and namesake was Dean of Oxford University, mm. to receive a first-class honours degree. So he's the first of his family line to receive a first. Okay, Despite the fact fine. one of them was granted a master's by the king, and one of them... Well, was, and he wasn't given a first. Yeah, one of them was the literal Dean of Oxford University. Neither so, of those got a first. I've just looked up the uh, like William Herbert, like the current Earl. Yeah, he's really handsome. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he's dashing. Well, he received his degree from Sheffield Hallam University. Did he? And it was in industrial design. Uh... And luckily for the people of Wiltshire, London, and the surrounding areas, he appears to have channeled his own homicidal rages into competitive motor racing having raced at Le Mans 24-hour twice. And naturally, as he's a member of the British upper class, he was racing in a Jaguar. Of course. A Jag. Yeah. Proper British design. And he's got, you know, he's got um, a degree, a first in design, so he knows a good design. He is delightful looking. Mm. I'm impressed. I mean, yeah, fine. And the source for this story... 
I, I told you before that originally it came from a Today I Learned from Reddit. Okay. The main source that I, I, I used for this was the Newgate calendar, which is a, a, a list of all the crimes that were tried in London over the years. And it's available at xclassics.com, which is a okay. really interesting website because what they sought to do was to provide access to books that have been cited in famous historical works. So the, the, the thing is, you know, you read some of these old textbooks and at the end where they're citing their sources, it's a load of books you've never heard of. Mm. And they've made it their mission to try and find those books that are cited and provide access to those as well. Well, so, that's interesting because actually, like, there could be fabrications along mm-hmm. the line somewhere and they could have just made it up. It's to allow for depth of research, but also so that you can get an idea of the influences that people who wrote these books have, so you get more of the context in which a book was written. It's interesting because, um, as as well, we just take like history books and stuff at face value. Like mm. we never read the citations, like ever. Like who does normally? If you're not researching a podcast or whatever, you just take it as oh well, that's they've done their research and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's, but there's a lot of people haven't got their research from primary sources or even secondary sources Hmm. they're just like rehashing like what they've been told so um i bet you a lot of it's like wrong and i guess that's where these myths spring up and they're like you've been told something for so long and then they're like that didn't actually happen or they didn't actually say that my favorite and i don't know if this is um a tall tale or not but it's my favorite around the way that things make their way into the you know sort of like the consciousness and just assumed knowledge yeah that um on the comedy sketch vehicle not the nine o'clock news Mm. which had um mel smith um and um rowan atkinson i don't think i ever watched it um well one one of the skits they were doing sort of like a, a natural history documentary spoof Hmm. And they referred to um, a group of gorillas as a flange of gorillas. Okay. And somebody, obviously, as a bit of a joke, like an in-joke, as part of a paper they were writing, they referred to gorillas in a group as a flange. (laughs) And their work got cited by people who just naturally, oh, that must be the collective, you know, that's the plural of gorilla. And it became just accepted that a group of gorillas is called a flange of gorillas. That's so funny. Despite the fact it was just put in there because Rowan Atkinson found flange to be quite a funny word. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's now, that is what it's used because, to be honest, all those plurals are subjective. There's no real reason. It's all, oh, how witty can we be? Yeah. You know, a murder of crows. Oh, very well done. A parliament of owls. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. So it's no stupider than those, but that's where it came from originally. It came from an 80s, um, you know, alternative comedy sketch troupe. That's so funny, isn't it? Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.